Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning, 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific, and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Disturbing the peace is about people born into conflict, sworn to be enemies who challenge their fate. The film follows everyday people who took extraordinary actions by standing up for what they believe in. Just like those who came before them, like Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, and many other many others whose names we don't even know. The movie challenges all of us to understand the narratives we live in, to look at our current roles in our societies, and to decide what role we are willing to play in creating a more humane world for all. It starts with our willingness to disturb the peace. And that is, a, I think, a good summary of the film and the sentiment behind Disturbing the Peace, and we're fortunate to have with us today the director and producer, Stephen Epcon, as well as the producer, Marcina Hale. Marcina and uh, Stephen, welcome to Film School. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for being here. Well, uh, I really think it's... uh, just the best way to get started in our conversation is to ask both of you how you came to this project. What was there a certain re- uh, sort of revelation to you in your personal life, or was it just a confluence of opportunity that uh, brought you to this project? Well, you know, it's interesting. We everybody who's involved in the project, just like any other film, comes to it and has their own personal experience of it and and uh, and connection. For uh, for me, going back um, several years, uh, it was a region that I was very connected to and had been uh, asked uh, whether I was interested in making a film uh, about the region and about the conflict. And I really felt like there was nothing new to, to say that hadn't been said. Uh, and at the time, Marcin and I were engaged in, in creating a nonprofit, Reconsider. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of the work that we wanted to do was around this idea of how we can get stuck in narratives uh, and uh, and the idea of taking responsibility for the world that we're creating. And uh, we went over there to do a listening tour of, of a whole variety of groups all over the political spectrum and had really come to the conclusion, again, that there wasn't something new to say until we met uh, these men and women from Combatants for Peace. Mm-hmm. I remember in the first meeting with them, uh, Chen Ohn, who's one of the Israeli founders of the organization, uh, asked him, what is the organization really about? And he said, without missing a beat, he said, we're a community of people taking responsibility for our own creation. Mm. And that's so directly connected to the work that we were doing and interested in doing and reconsider uh, that we knew that this was a, a film that was worth making, and it began a, a more than four-year journey uh, that we've been on. Mm-hmm. Marcina, is that... For me, I, I come from a background, a more uh, psychology background, and was really involved with helping people sort of transform in their lives. And what we really wanted to do was create transformative experiences. And so the workshops in the film, the film just became like an extension of our work at the workshops and showing how we can transform in the certain stages that it goes through. And so it was really interesting to see if we could make a film that did not have a villain in it, mm-hmm. and see if it's interesting. 
And so it it really is about an experience. So for me, it was is a lot of it bringing my psychological background to it. Yeah, you're as I read, you're uh, a uh, uh, let me get this right, a licensed uh, marriage and family therapist, and also have a degree in media and psychotherapy. So. You're bringing, right. yeah, you're bringing a bit of a filmmaker's perspective, but more than that, it sounds like, from the point of view of, of a therapist. And, well, it, and it, well, it was starting as therapy as a way of conscious evolution and, right. And, right. and taking responsibility for the world that we're creating. Right. Well, so for us, you know, even the film was based in the Middle East, we were, we were very interested in these universal themes and using their work within the context of this decades-long uh, conflict as a way of exploring these ideas that are relevant to all of us. And the show, I mean, this group has been holding the space for over 10 years, so they're a very good example of what's needed as far as resiliency and the kinds of in, um, issues that they had to face in order to continue their work. Right. Uh, before we get into the group, the Combatants for Peace, which is at the center of the film, Disturbing the Peace, uh, let's take a half a step back and describe exactly what we're talking about Um that this is a film about Israelis and Palestinians who have dealt with, as you alluded to, Stephen, um, now decades, 50 years or more of um, hostility, conflict, brutality, all kinds of things that uh, have just stretched people to the breaking point. But these, this group of people... On the, almost independently, really, in their own way, in their own journey, came to the same realization that this is not viable. This is not. This is not sustainable, and decided to do something about it. So is is that an accurate and apt description of what what this? It's a very accurate description, and uh, you're right that they were very personal journeys for each of them. Yeah, and it wasn't just coming though to the conclusion that they couldn't that this wasn't sustainable. It was also you know, each of them had an experience where they were, you know, they, these were, and these were, it's important to note, they were, you know, elite soldiers. They were soldiers at the highest level. Mm -hmm. And they were fighters on the Palestinian side who spent years, some decades in prison uh, for, you know, for what they did. And uh, so they spent years really trying to kill each other. But it wasn't just that it wasn't sustainable. It was, each of them had an experience whether it was a small thing or, or a series of things or a trauma that threw them far enough outside of the reality of what they were participating in to realize that we're just playing a role mm -hmm. in somebody else's story, mm -hmm. that they didn't have to continue to do it that way. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, that uh, we talk about within Reconsider and uh, something that Marcina's talked about for years is this idea that, that once you know, you can't not know. Mm-hmm. And once they realized that they didn't have to do it this way, they found it impossible to go back. And they began then a very personal journey first of confronting their own stories uh, and, uh, and then ultimately confronting their societies and choosing nonviolence this other way. And they went through all of that before they actually met each other. Yeah. Yeah, that's what's interesting is, is that is uh, um, that they came to this uh, some this realization this this uh, progression in their in getting outside of themselves 
and there are different stories. You you focus on about eight people. There's uh, and it's I, you know, there, as you described, the soldiers, uh, and really in 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 many ways, soldiers, all of them, no matter the role in life, there are there are assigned roles in life, but they were soldiers for a particular perspective or point of view. Um, and uh, there's one that I wanted to just mention. It's uh, Suleiman Khatib, if I've got that correct. Suleiman. Yeah. And and how watching uh, he happened to he was in uh, he was incarcerated and watched Schindler's List. I do have the right story for the right. Is that right? He saw yes, you do. Yeah. And and his for the first time in his life, considering, well, why exactly are the Jewish people so, you know, adamant about having a, a place for themselves and for their families? And began this process for him to move out of those circumstances, and then you have a situation with Shen Shen Alon as another sort of a very different perspective in his life, but moved in that same direction. So it it's one of the things I just want to compliment both of you from the entire team for uh, the ability to is essentially uh, to humanize everyone uh, through these stories and the the interviews that you did with them. Uh, that makes this all feasible because there, there's a certain amount of cynicism surrounding any film about this, the the, the situation it, that we find ourselves in, that that, that to avoid the the sense that uh, somehow I'm the, as a as a viewer being manipulated into a point of view. I never felt that in watching Disturbing the Peace. I felt these were very genuine and heartfelt uh, journeys for all of them. I don't have a question. I just wanted to compliment you on that. Um, but what was it like for you, uh, Stephen, and for Marcina and the entire group to kind of win the confidence of these people in getting the story to be told? You know, I, I want to say something about that because uh, when I, you know, Steve did the interviewing, and his way of interviewing is phenomenal because what he does is he really works with the people to just get them comfortable. And if you can see, the way that they set it up with camera-wise is that they would actually see a picture of Steve, so they were talking to him. Mm-hmm. But the way that he really just created a place where it was safe enough for them to go deeper and deeper into the level of conversation, the authenticity of what they were saying was so amazing. Mm-hmm. That's what you're experiencing on the film, is yeah. very authentic, deep places where he could bring them. Right. I think it takes it, it, it takes a lot of time and trust, uh, you know, to work with them. And what Marcina was describing in terms of of the way that we shot it um, was very much like an Errol Morris kind of interview, where I was uh, along with uh, our DP and my co-director Young. We were behind the screen, and my image as I was interviewing them was was uh, was put through a teleprompter onto the lens of the camera. Mm-hmm. So I was able to have a very direct conversation with them, um, but to create a sense of uh, of immediacy to to uh, to have them looking, you know, direct to camera. Yeah. Now it, it's a very effective uh, technique, and Errol Morris certainly has, uh, in many ways, perfected that. And uh, it's but it but it serves a purpose. The purpose is is to, as you said, to win their confidence. Was there some trepidation on on the part of anyone in the film? You don't have to name names, but what was it that how let me put this another way were there moments in making this film where you felt all right we they're they're on they're on our side now they 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 trust us did you 
there, I think I'll, I'll tell you two points. Yeah. I think that with with each person, uh, the the depth of of where we wanted to take them, oftentimes into very painful territory, was challenging. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were times I'm thinking in in the time we spent with Shifa, mm-hmm. who you get to know, uh, who has quite an amazing story. Uh, you know, hours away, detonating herself as a suicide bomber, and for her to talk about. Uh, what got her to that point where it made sense in her life to be willing to leave her six-year-old daughter uh, was very, very challenging, uh, exhausting for her. We would take breaks. You could see how drained she was. And, uh, and you know, you have a responsibility to an individual, uh, both in terms of, of telling their story, but also taking care of them and honoring who they are. The time where it was perhaps the most challenging was with uh, Jamil uh, Kassas, who is one of the main characters in the film, and his wife, Fatima. And there's this conversation uh, between them at home about whether to bring their daughters to a, uh, a demonstration. And uh, Shifa was really, I mean, uh, Fatima was, was very, very reluctant to be in the film at all, to be filmed, uh, and agreed to it uh, after a couple of years but I think never really understood that she'd be in the final film. So when it came time that we finished the film and we're about to bring it into festivals, we knew that she needed to see it. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, very reluctant. But I'll tell you, after she watched it, and I think I held my breath for the 87 minutes it played, uh, she was silent for a while afterward, and then she said, thank you. And she started to explain why she has been so angry. And uh, she's an amazing woman, extraordinarily vulnerable in the film, uh, but really presents a very, very powerful and important voice. I would say, I would echo that, and I would say that her story might be the most compelling of all of them. They're all very compelling in their own ways, but in some ways... Well, I think what's amazing about that was when we... Played in the Jerusalem Film Festival. Mm-hmm. We had both Israeli and Palestinians that were there, and she did come over for the um, festival. And afterward, we had a gathering, and there were Israeli women going up to her and thanking her, which was just an amazing experience. That's extraordinary under the circumstances of her story. But in another way, the fact that it didn't play out the way it could have is also a testament to the connection to that humanity, understanding Absolutely. why she was driven to that point, and then understanding that she had within her that ability to, to see that not happen. So it's it's very powerful. It's a very powerful. Um, I want to remind our listeners we're speaking uh, with the director and producer uh, of the film Disturbing the Peace, and that's Stephen Abcon, as well as the producer, um, Marcina Hale, of the film Disturbing the Peace. You can go to disturbingthepeacefilm.com to find out more about it and how you can, in fact, uh, screen this film, become, there's a there's a, 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 a site called Gather. Uh, Stephen or Marcina, tell us a little bit about how that could work for someone. Well, first of all, we're actually looking for all kinds of input and help in being able to distribute this in different ways. We um, have, you can, host screenings, mm-hmm. and there's a, again, if you go to our website, there's a place where you can uh, uh, register to do a gather screening. Mm-hmm. We're also working on a college tour 
which will go into cities and towns, and we're looking for partners there and people that would like to host it are from universities. So, and if other people have different ways that they'd like to have the film screened, we're open for ideas. And, and you know, the most important thing we feel is to be able to start these conversations and really to show that there is a different way. And of course, we just opened it in New York City and Los Angeles, and uh, it will be playing in theaters uh, around the country um, through our theatrical distributor, Brahma Rama. Um, into the, the first part of 2017. Oh, fantastic. With, okay, go ahead. Sorry. The combatants themselves are doing work. They have marches every month, and it's important to support them in the work that they're doing over there. And they also have a Memorial Day event that is absolutely phenomenal because it really, it what it does is it, it um, honors all of the lives that have been lost, both Palestinian and Israeli. And they're actually looking at doing it, even broadening it to, to other um groups uh, or countries. So there's also a that's coming up in May. Mm-hmm. Want to say about that? Well, we'll be we'll be actually we'll be back in uh in the region in Israel and in Palestine screening the film over 3 weeks between uh the end of this year and the middle of January and then we'll be back in May um for a series of events uh with combatants and a number of other organizations focused on the the 50th anniversary of uh, of the occupation. Now, people can continue to stay abreast of what you're doing by going to disturbingthepeacefilm.com, uh, as well as Reconsider. Is that another site that would... Um, yeah. Reconsider.org. Pardon? Let's say that again. Reconsider.org. Right. Re- so, yeah, Reconsider.org would be another place to go for that. Um, again, and I'm just... Uh, because Because I do talk to a lot of filmmakers who are trying to get the word out about a particular uh, subject or issue that they've uh, been dealing with in their film. I, I can, I'm can. i thinking right now about uh, the film that uh, Kirby Dick and uh, Amy Zerling did called uh, The Hunting Ground, and they were looking yeah. to get that around to the different uh, college campuses, and I imagine that whatever model they used would probably work well for what you're trying to accomplish as well. So very much so, and and uh, and we are engaged with the team doing that. And oh, good. you know, this is uh, you mentioned the hunting ground, which is a very fine film and, and a very relevant topic on university campuses. And and right now, one of the most uh, contentious issues on university campuses is uh, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Right. Uh, and uh, and this spring, with the coming 50th anniversary. It's particularly important to create a much more open dialogue that encompasses, uh, you know, so many people. What's interesting also about the film is that, yes. you know, when we began this project more than four years ago, we had no idea that it would be coming out in this uh, particular environment uh, with the election. Yeah, I, and glad you're that, so, bringing that up. Yes, yes. Yeah, so it, the film has a, has a very strong resonance with people right now that is, uh, is different than we even what could have imagined. Uh, you know, I, because ultimately, I, go ahead. I'm sorry, um, I was just going to say, ultimately, it's it's about how do we bridge cultural divides? Mm-hmm. How do we not demonize the other? Mm-hmm. How do we go forward at a time that feels, you know, unimaginably difficult and challenging to bridge those divides? Uh, and um, seeing what these men and women are able to do is really an example and a model for what we need to do in the world today, you know, within our own uh, home and, and country. And and I'd like to add that it, this film comes at a time when our 
political institutions seem to be failing us, not just here in the United States, but around the world. You see increasingly troubling signs that uh, that politics, the political realm, while I consider to be an extremely important for, uh, vehicle for change, personally I do, but at a time it feels right now like it's uh, it's unable to respond uh, in ways that uh, I think we're only beginning to realize just how bad it can be. So, well, I think that that uh, one thing that we have to have to remember is that uh, the political will reflect and the and the politicians reflect the society that we create. Yeah, and it's something that that uh, these people in combatants for peace understand at a very deep level. So uh, they're not waiting for their political leaders to make peace. They are um, dealing with their own issues and working together and uh, and in that way are, are a really important model for, for all of us. And I think one of the important models to remember is it's a nonviolent model. Yeah. You know, uh, Jim Lawson, who is one of the ones that brought the concepts from Gandhi to Martin Luther King, we did a Q&A with us over in L.A., and he said that the film was a very good example of the use of nonviolence and nonviolent communication. And it's something that I know when we were at Standing Rock, one of the things they were teaching there was nonviolence. And so the more of us that get trained in that way of being and thinking, it, the, the more powerful I think we will be just in the world in general. The concept of nonviolence are very powerful. You know, amazing. It really, truly is in a world that is increasingly militarized and in a world that seems violent, more and more violent than ever. Um, although there are statistics, like people will tell you, it the world actually is not as violent as it has been in the past, which is, I think, a good sign. But the point is, nonviolence is, in so many ways, the most effective and long-lasting opportunity to change people's perspective. Exactly. Well, um, again, I've, the film is Disturbing the Peace, and the, you can go to the disturbingthepeacefilm.com to find out more. Uh, it's truly uh, a, an inspiring film, and um, it's, this is a subject that I have s- tried to center my attention on is any time I get a, a documentary like yours or or uh, The Ruins of Lifta or whatever it might be that is in some way an opportunity to crack open uh, a, a, some light into a situation uh, like this, like the situation between the Israelis and the Palestinians that's so central to so many other issues that are going on in the Middle East. Um, I jump at it, and yours is just a, a terrific, wonderful example of that. So I, I appreciate it. There's one other concept that would that I think just came up to me that would be important to sort of talk about, which is... yeah. That like that we were talking about how the film is does not have a villain, yeah. And you know there is a place where everybody says that the film is very balanced, and we always say that it's not balanced. What it is is it's integrated, mm. and <laughs> it's it's a very a big difference because there's a a place where the integration you can see the integration happening in the first meeting when Avner, who is a top military in, in Israeli military, says, you know, we found we had something in common. And that's the willingness to kill people we don't know. Yes, yes. And then you had Shifa, who was a suicide bomber on the Palestinian side. It, you know, we found we had something that we desired together, which was the desire for peace. Right. Well, and so it's showing that both sides hold the same thing. There's the ability to kill people that don't know and the desire for peace. Yeah. 
and saying that all of us are living within that duality, and if we own it together, then we don't have to make stones out of each other, but really take responsibility for what we're doing in the world. And this idea that you you alluded to that we are creating our own, we're creating these roles. We're we're creating, we're inhabiting them, and and it right. and that some basic level we know that these kinds of roles are just wrong. And 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 and, and recognizing that we have the capacity for both, as Marcina was saying, that yeah. that's within us. Yeah. You know, we all have the capacity to kill people we don't know because we do it every day. As there are people within people around the world that are killed uh, by you know by us um, and by our bombs. Um, so uh, it's something we have to take responsibility for, and to recognize that we have also the capacity for compassion, for love, and for peace. Yeah. And by integrating both of those things, we recognize that we're making a choice every day in how we want to show up. Yeah. And the first step is acknowledging this, then and that's, exactly that we, we until and and in the film, all of these people, the they to see their acknowledgement to one another to the to the people that they considered uh, not worthy of living. Now they're now they're acknowledging the humanity of each other, and you know, um, and you know what's really interesting about that, Mike, is that the uh, often people will them. Uh, about how much they suffer for doing that, you know, how much they, what what they sacrifice within their own lives, their own communities, jobs, uh, being uh, uh, called collaborators or or whatever it might be, and it's interesting because they recognize that there is some sacrifice, but actually what they look at is is how much their lives are enriched by having taken this journey, and the most important thing is the freedom that they have of having transcended that narrative that they were stuck in, in which it was good and, and evil, black and white, uh, perpetrator and, and victim. And uh, and they understand something beyond that. And it's given them an enormous freedom. Yes, and, and in a manner of speaking, uh, Stephen, you, you have described, and if you could, or Marcina, either one of you, to describe where the title disturbing the peace comes from in the context of what you just described sure so it's very relevant i'm glad you're making that connection the the title in part came from the fact that they have these nonviolent protests and are regularly arrested for disturbing the peace yeah and after one of these events as two people arrested hen and muhammad you started to wonder whose peace are they disturbing yeah and you realize they're disturbing the status quo they're disturbing what what is today. And you see that they stand in a long legacy, as you said in your introduction, this long legacy of people from Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King Jr. And look, the suffragettes, these women who went to prison not that long ago in this country for women to have the right to vote. And so all of these people who are willing to disturb the peace, which means to make themselves uncomfortable, to stand for something better. So the title is also a challenge. Yeah. It is what the, it is the process that they went through. First piece we need to disturb is our own. Yeah. To challenge those stories which we hold as being, you know, black and white reality, um, and to uh, to challenge ourselves to to look at those narratives, go into a place of curiosity and understanding how they serve us and how they don't serve us, yeah. and then to be willing to stand up and disturb the peace not only of ourselves, but of our communities, and to really challenge uh, for our, our efforts to, to create a more just world. 
And it's also when somebody else is willing to stand for something, it's our ability to stand with others. It's so important for us to stand together. Uh, that's wonderful. And before I let you go, um, Stephen, uh, I'm going to describe a little bit about the uh, the work that's being done at the Jacob Burns um, Film Center. Sure, I'd be happy to. So uh, the Jacob Burns uh, is a really uh, great place just outside of New York City, and it's a um, it's a film center uh, that I uh, founded more than 15 years ago, and uh, still very involved on the board and doing a number of events there. But it is a it's a cultural and education center. Uh, we show more than 450 different films a year there from 50 different countries, and uh, it's recognizing that film has a unique ability to allow us to enter worlds other than our own, to mm-hmm. challenge, to educate, to inspire, and ultimately to bring together. And uh, we do a huge number of events with filmmakers. We've been very fortunate that the industry has really embraced it. And we've created really groundbreaking uh, education programs, understanding that to be lit today, uh, you know, the vast majority of information we receive is delivered on a daily basis through visual media. And, you know, the the fake news and the images and the, the way that this election was presented, we understand how critical media literacy is today. Yes. And we need to understand that it's not only about critically uh, reading and understanding the images and the media that we're presented with, but increasingly it is also about the ways in which we express ourselves. Um, so to be a full citizen, to, to be engaged, to be fully uh, capable uh, in this democracy uh, that we inhabit, you need a measure of literacy. And uh, so that is core to the mission of the Jacob Burns Film Center, and it's really been uh, wonderful to come back there uh, with this film and, uh, and to engage audiences in, in one of the places where, you know, we created this film really as a way of having a conversation. Yeah. And uh, so the audience is, is critically important to this. And we, you know, we, we are really encouraged that people are coming uh, with their own perspectives and, and uh, from the, all over the, the political spectrum and experiences and religions and ethnicity and all of that and seeing a much broader human universal story. And uh, so the, the conversations we've, that we've had all over the country and really all over the world uh, have been so uh, extraordinary, and uh, we're excited to be continuing that. We invite you to join us. Yes, and yes, we're yes inviting everyone to be a part of uh, a part of understanding the humanity, recognizing, acknowledging, and embracing the humanity of all of us. That's uh, that's certainly I, I don't know how anyone would argue with that, and. Uh, well, thank you so much, both of you, for being here today. Uh, the film is Disturbing the Peace. You can go to disturbingthepeacefilm.com. Also look up uh, reconsider.org, The Combatants for Peace. Look at all of these different things, but start with disturbingthepeacefilm.com and go from there. And uh, uh, Stephen Abcon and Marcina Hale, um, the production team behind Disturbing the Peace. Thank you so much for being a part of Film School today. Thanks for having us, and it's great to be with you. Thank you so much.
You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.